Hi, folks. Be sure to visit my webpage at dr-history.com for over 440 true stories of the Old West. Also, now available on Amazon, my first book, a historical fiction based on true events entitled Coal Miner to Cowboy. The story of a young man born in England in 1850. He wants to be a cowboy and makes his way to America, travels from New Orleans to Independence on a steamboat, hires on as a teamster to Santa Fe, then on a cattle drive to Bozeman, Montana. He also rides shotgun on a stagecoach. He travels with a wagon train, and on his two-year journey, he meets some famous people and keeps a journal of his adventures. The book contains a lot of the true stories from my podcast and is now available on Amazon. Visit my webpage for a link to Amazon for the book, Coal Miner to Cowboy. Hi, folks. Dr. History here with another story from the Old West. Today, folks, is July 4th, 2023. So I thought I would just do a few... Uh, stories about patriotic songs. So the first song I'm going to talk about is the Battle Hymn of the Republic, also known as Mine Eyes Have Seen the Glory or Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. Outside of the United States, it's a popular American patriotic song written by the abolitionist uh, Julia Ward Howe. November 18, 1861, Howe wrote the verses to the Battle Hymn of the Republic, of the writing of the lyrics, Howe remembered this, quote, I went to bed that night as usual and slept according to my want, quite soundly. I awoke in the gray of the morning twilight, and as I lay waiting for the dawn, the long lines of the desired poem began to twine themselves in my mind. Having thought out all the stanzas, I said to myself, I must get up and write these verses down, lest I fall asleep again and forget them. So, with a sudden effort, I sprang out of bed and found in the dimness an old stump of a pencil, which I remembered to have used the day before. I scrawled the verses almost without looking at the paper. Another song is God Bless America. You know, it's an American patriotic song that's a favorite, written by Irving Berlin during World War I in 1918 and revised by him in the run-up to World War II in 1938. The later version was notably recorded by Kate Smith, becoming her signature song. Now, Berlin wrote the song while serving in the U.S. Army at the end of World War I. In 1938, with the rise of Adolf Hitler, Berlin, who was Jewish and had arrived in the U.S. from Russia at the age of five, felt it was time to revive it as a peace song. And it was introduced on Armistice Day broadcast in 1938, sung by Kate Smith on her radio show. My Country Tis of Thee, also known simply as America, is an American patriotic song, the lyrics of which were written by Samuel Francis Smith. The song served as one of the uh, national anthems of the United States, along with songs like Hail Columbia, before the adoption of the Star-Spangled Banner as the official national anthem in 1931. The melody used is the same as that of the national anthem of the United Kingdom. God save the King. Another song, Hail Columbia, is an American patriotic song and a ceremonial entrance march of the Vice President of the United States. It was originally considered to be one of the unofficial national anthems of the United States until 1931, when, as I mentioned, the Star Spangled Banner was named as the official national anthem. The music was composed by a guy named Philip File or File. 
1789 for the first inauguration of George Washington, entitled The President's March. It was the personal anthem for the president until it was replaced by the song Hail to the Chief. Now, one of my favorites, folks, is our national anthem. So I'm going to spend a little more time on that. And I've done this uh, before, probably eight or nine or ten years ago, but I thought it was worth repeating. So in 1776, the colonies were at war for, for another, what we'd call our second independence. The War of 1812, uh, as I mentioned, was somewhat of a second war for independence. So let's go back to the summer of 1814 for a minute. Two years into the War of 1812 at Fort McHenry, the commander, Major George Armistead, asked for a flag so big the British would have no trouble seeing it from a distance. Two officers were sent to the Baltimore home of Mary Young Pickersgill and commissioned the flag. Mary and her 13-year-old daughter Caroline used 400 yards of best quality wool bunting. They cut 15 stars that measured 2 feet from point to point. 8 red and 7 white stripes, each 2 feet wide, were cut. Laying out the material on the floor, the flag was sewn together. By August, it was finished. It measured 30 by 42 feet. Now, the colonies were engaged in war with England. Both sides had prisoners. The American government went to the British and said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. The British were holding some of these prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. The government said, we want to send a man out to negotiate an exchange of prisoners, which happened to be Francis Scott Key. On the appointed day, he went out in a rowboat to negotiate with the British officers they reached a conclusion that man would be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. Francis Scott Key was happy with the success of the negotiation. He went down into the cargo hold of the ship and found a mass of humanity. He told them they were free and they would be released from the filth and the chains that held them. When he went back up on the deck, the admiral came to him and said, We have a slight problem. We will honor our commitment to release his men, but it will be merely academic after tonight. You see that fort over there? Tonight, we are going to remove it from the face of the earth. Look over the water. Scott could see hundreds of boats and ships. It was the entire British war fleet. All of the armament and gunpowers being called upon to demolish that fort. He said, you can't do that. It's full of women and children and is predominantly not a military fort. The admiral said, don't worry about it. You see that flag way up on the rampart? We have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately, and we will know that they have surrendered. And you will now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. Key told the men, I'll go back up on deck and shout down to you what is going on. Well, as twilight began to fall and a haze hung over the ocean, as it does at sunset, suddenly the British war fleet unleashed. The noise was deafening. There was no relief from the sound of the cannon fire. The bombardment continued for 25 hours. The British firing 1,500 bombshells that weighed as much as 200 pounds and carried lighted fuses that would supposedly cause it to explode when it reached its target. But they weren't very dependable and often blew up in midair. From special small boats, the British fired the rockets 
that traced wobbly arcs of red flame across the sky. It was impossible to speak or hear, Key said. Although it was dark, the sky was suddenly lit. From down below, he could hear the prisoners asking one question. Tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling, every time a bomb would explode close to the flag, they could see the flag in that illuminated red glare. And Francis Scott Key would report to the men down below, It's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and said, Your people are insane. What's the matter with them? Don't they understand this is an impossible situation? Francis Scott Key remembered something George Washington had said. What sets the American Christian apart from the rest of the world is that he will die on his feet rather than live on his knees. Well, the admiral said, we have now instructed all the guns to aim at that flag on the rampart. We will take it down. One thing we don't understand, our reconnaissance tells us that flag has been hit again and again, yet the flag is still flying. We don't understand that. We are now about to bring every gun to bear on that flag for the next three hours. Francis Scott Key said the barrage was unmerciful. All that Key could hear was the men down below praying for God to keep that flag flying where they had last seen it. Sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land, but the rampart was tall enough to be seen, and there was the flag. It was in shreds. The flagpole was at a crazy angle, but the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key boarded a small boat to go ashore to see what had happened. What he found was that the flag and the flagpole had suffered repetitious direct hits. When the flag went down, the patriots would go over and raise the flag, knowing that it was the main British target. When they died, their bodies were removed and others took their place. Francis Scott Key said that what held the flagpole at the unusual angle were the patriots. He penned the song, The Star-Spangled Banner. And I'm just going to read the first verse. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming? Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight? Or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming? And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air? gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? Folks, on this 4th of July, I hope we'll remember the patriots, those that have suffered and died for us in the, the wars, World War I, II, Korea, uh, Vietnam, the Iraq Wars those that have suffered so that we can maintain our liberty. And folks, I pray and I hope you pray that we will be able to maintain that liberty in this wonderful free land of America. And I hope you have a good 4th of July, and we'll see you next week.